As I said in episode 900, my update about dropping this podcast back to one a week for a while for health reasons, I'm going to be sharing brand new episodes only on Mondays for a while. I'm going to use my usual Wednesday and Friday slots to reshare some excellent older episodes. What follows is one of those interviews. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. I was very excited to talk to Neil Conan. As a longtime NPR listener, I was familiar with his voice from Talk of the Nation, which he hosted from 2001 to 2013. When I heard about and listened to his new independent show, Truth, Politics, and Power, I realized he was a perfect fit for this podcast. He is now a political entrepreneur. With Truth, Politics, and Power, Neil has created a new enterprise that focuses on how the Trump presidency represents a departure from over 70 years of governance by both parties putting what is happening now into historical context. Neil works on his show with John Agolnik, another radio professional who I know from Wednesday Night Basketball in Washington, D.C. Every week, Neil interviews experts about different issues arising from the Trump administration and national and international events. So after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Neil Conan of Truth, Politics, and Power. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. So, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm up in Vermont, which I'm enjoying a great deal. Ah, I am currently in Montana. Uh, what what brings you to Montana? Uh, well, my wife and I have a cabin here, and we spend part of the year here. Uh, she spends more of the year here than I do, but... Do you have some land up there? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, 40 acres. Yes. And a mule. And a mule, yes. Actually, a quarter horse, but yes. That sounds good. What do you do while you're in Montana, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, mostly I work on my radio show. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is ask you, even though I know quite a bit about you from uh, your being a rather public figure, to just give me a biography and kind of catch me up to what you're doing right now. Okay. I'm uh, working on a show, uh, hosting a show called Truth, Politics, and Power, which is on more and more public radio stations, we hope, every single week. It's also available as a podcast at our uh, website, which is truthpoliticsandpower.org. I don't know how we came up with a title like that. So uh, it's a one-hour weekly program that 
focuses on the uh, challenges posed to us all by the uh, uh, the new administration. It's been a lot of fun, and particularly working with uh, a couple of people who I've worked a lot with uh, during my career at National Public Radio, and those were the executive producer, Sue Goodwin, who was my EP on Talk of the Nation, and John Agolnik, who I've known for many years and worked with uh, closely over many years, uh, mostly on live broadcasts. Uh, I've heard a rumor that you've played basketball with John. I did play basketball with John, and I will uh, confess that uh, then at least, and I'm sure now, uh, he is a better player than I am. I can't go to his left, though. (laughs) I've played with him quite a bit myself, so I I know what you're talking about. Right. Um, I noticed one other thing that caught my interest, that you often farm macadamia nuts in Hawaii. I do. We have a a small five-and-a-half-acre mac nut farm uh, on the Big Island, and I return there on Sunday because the harvest is about to begin. That sounds exciting. So tell me a little what led you to put together Truth, Politics, and Power. What was sort of the founding story there? Um, I, like I think a lot of people, was uh, a little surprised come election night. And uh, the next morning I woke to, it, it was like a grief, a personal loss. Uh, I, uh, not any great affection for Hillary Rodham Clinton, but it was the election of somebody who I thought was manifestly unqualified to be president of the United States and uh, realized that we were going to be in new circumstances, uh, partly because of unusual policy ideas and partly because I think we're in the hands of amateurs. And uh, uh, this is going to be an interesting moment. And it suddenly seemed to me that uh, farming macadamia nuts was not a sufficient uh, usage of my, uh, of my skills in the current circumstances. So I, I, I tried to find a new way to do it. I was lucky enough to get in touch with um, a fan who uh, was willing to donate some startup money for us. So we decided to try to get on the air as soon as possible and uh, got our first sort of pilot program up for inauguration week uh, in January and then started running weekly editions of uh, Truth, Politics, and Power an hour a week come uh, late February or early March. Tell you the truth, I don't remember because you get sort of swept up in, in weekly production. What is the mission purpose of Truth, Politics, and Power? It almost sees every day we're presented with unprecedented and unique circumstances. Part of the idea of truth, politics, and power is to put those questions into historical context. Uh, a lot of the time, they're not so new. America first, for example, is not the first time that that phrase has been used in American politics. So that's an obvious uh, circumstance. But also to you know raise questions about how things have been done in past you know seventy years of administrations, both uh, Democratic and. Republican and how the current administration represents a departure, but also how, in some circumstances, it, it represents continuity. So you you said that Trump is manifestly unqualified to be president. That's not something that a reporter normally says. Do you think that this time calls for a different kind of reporting? I think that is something that a reporter could say after examining the fact, <laughs> you know, is, is one person qualified or is another person not qualified? Uh, nothing in his background qualifies him to be president of the United States. A lot of what he said during the campaign seems to me disqualified him completely from being president of the United States. Nevertheless, uh, the voters in their wisdom decided to elect him anyway, uh, showing what kind of uh, influence and, and authority I have over the body politic. You know, I don't think we have to go outside the rules of what we consider journalism to critique a, a 
an, uh, an administration and to critique a president. We certainly have critiqued uh, every other president and every other administration that's been elected. And so uh, why should this one be any different? But to conclude that uh, a real estate developer who's never been elected to office before is unqualified to be president, uh, you know, that and uh, the number of extraordinarily uh, divisive things that he said during the campaign, uh, I don't think that's a, a, an odd conclusion or an unusual conclusion for any journalist to, to come to. Well, I agree with you. What is it that you are enjoying about doing this new show? What is making you want to come do it every week? Partly, radio is what I have done for my whole life since I was 17 years old, and it is nice to get back to it in a way. I've been continuing to do radio. I do some work on the side for Hawaii Public Radio, but that's, you know, a total of about uh, five minutes a week. Getting back to a program like Truth, Politics, and Power is doing substantial interviews, uh, structuring programs, as I've done since, you know, I, I can't remember how long. So, you know, it's getting back to what I've always done in my life, and that's been uh, rewarding in and of itself. But it's also been an intellectual challenge to try to devise a show. It's been uh, a logistical challenge also to uh, uh, work on a show that we're uh, producing across six time zones. So that part has been pretty interesting. And I started life in radio as a uh, board op, uh, as a, you know, kind of a, an engineer, at least in part. And uh, it's really been interesting to take advantage of amazing technology that allows us to do this program without the kind of uh, infrastructure, uh, a studio, for example, that we would have needed even, I think, five years ago. How is it working as an enterprise? As an enterprise, it's interesting. I've my entire life been an employee. I have never been the entrepreneur. I have uh, been in charge of budgets, but I've never been in charge of raising the money. And that part is very interesting. So again, we got a substantial donation to uh, get us started, but then uh, we're trying to uh, see where we can find additional sources of income to keep us going. That's been a challenge, as I think everybody in the business knows. So far, so good, but uh, we'll see. So I've been interviewing a series of people who were so moved by what happened in the 2016 election that they started all kinds of enterprises. Do you fit yourself in amongst them, would you say? Oh, I would say yes. Uh, uh, you know, and our goal is really to try to affect the national conversation that's going on, provide some depth and some context to it, and to reach as many people as possible, which is one of the reasons we're focusing on making this a radio program as well as a podcast. Podcasts are by their nature. I, I, you know, I know it's the future and all that, but particularly in terms of politics, it tends to be a self-selected audience. Radio gives you the opportunity to reach people you would not otherwise reach, uh, an interesting audience number for a podcast is a really, really bad number for a radio program. You can reach a lot more people. Uh, what we're trying to do is reach out and reach as many people as possible. I've been uh, listening to your program with quite a bit of admiration for how it's put together. Can we talk about that a little bit? How did you pick the music? How did you pick the title? How did you decide on the topics and the guests? How, how are you going about that? The uh, title was devised in a conversation between me and Sue. When I say conversation, it's mostly a lot of emails, again, given the six-hour time difference. Uh, that, that part is a real challenge. Uh, but uh, a lot of different emails and, and uh, working it out. And in terms of what we thought the focus of the program ought to be, the, the name of a radio program or a podcast ought to give the listeners some idea of, of you know, what, what they're in for. Truth, politics, and power does not suggest comedy, for example. 
So uh, one of the advantages that I had initially was to uh, obviously needed to develop a team to help me do this, uh, that Sue was available and interested in working as the executive producer, particularly that we got uh, on her recommendation, Arjun Hutchins, uh, who used to be director of the uh, late lamented Tell Me More program on NPR uh, as our technical wizard who could transform our ideas in, into an actual program. The music, uh, I was lucky enough to have a friend up the street from me in Hawaii uh, who performs every week with a group called the Redwater Trio who have some exceptionally talented uh, members in there. And so got together with them and, and he has a little studio and we worked out a theme and then went to a bigger studio and, and uh, recorded a nice version of that. And uh, for obvious reasons, between podcasts and radio programs, you want to own your own music uh, so you don't get involved in all sorts of rights problems. That was important to us early on. Uh, we do the topics a lot of the same way that, you know, obviously because it's the same team, uh, me and Sue and, and again, John Agonlik, who uh, knows us both pretty well. It's the same process, really, a lot of it that we used at Talk of the Nation to try to focus on a topic that we think can work to our strengths, that we can address pretty effectively, uh, where we know people uh, or, or believe we can find people who can speak to the subject uh, pretty interestingly. And to some degree, it's riffing off ideas definitely presented by the uh, new president in terms of America First, for example. Uh, in other situations, it's uh, looking at areas of the world where he's going to be presented with uh, policy choices, North Korea, South China Sea, situations like that. So uh, we're, we're trying to uh, uh, also alternate between doing one week on domestic issues and one week on, on international issues so that we you know, have a balance between uh, one and the other and that we don't get stuck just doing the, uh, the sort of crisis of the week. One of the big ideas of the program is to step back from the daily news, which is you know, so often it's about a tweet. Uh, so uh, we, we try to step back from that and, and try to put what the real issues are in some context when you're talking about America First. Well, what does that mean for, you know, that system of organizations established by the United States after the Second World War, so you know, organizations like NATO and uh, the World Bank and, and other organizations. So if you're talking about America First, how does America First address those kinds of institutions? How does it represent a departure, which I think it really does? And what does that uh, suggest for America's future role in the world? How has it been to sort of be growing a program the way you are, where I assume you had fewer stations in the beginning, more over time. How is that progressing and how does that different than the kind of role you'd had before? Well, I, I was lucky enough to inherit uh, at Talk of the Nation a, a program that was, I think, fairly be described as mature, and we helped grow it. And when uh, we signed off the air, we had the largest number of listeners and the largest number of stations in the program's history. So uh, that was very gratifying. Truth, Politics, and Power, we had a lot of stations that were uh, signed up for our inauguration special because, you know, uh, I think there was tremendous interest in that uh, those couple of weeks. Uh, since then, we've been building it, but you know, this is a great moment. And it's, I'm, I'm laughing because, you know, this is a great moment where every new program would say, we're the fastest growing program in public radio. <laughs> well, let's see how, how long that continues and how big you get. So uh, that's the challenge. So, uh, But it's, yes, it's really interesting. And uh, I'm lucky enough to have some 
dear friends who work in, in the public radio system. Uh, Joanne Wallace at KQAD was very instrumental in helping us uh, devise uh, you know, the program and, and very supportive. Uh, I, I worked with her very closely in, from her NPR days and uh, Talk of the Nation was very successful on KQAD. So I think she saw a fit with her audience. So that was very nice, uh, WNYC in New York. So it, it's also nice if you're going to start from a, a small beginnings. It, it's sort of nice to start with San Francisco and New York. Definitely is. Uh, what did you think of the press coverage of the 2016 election? I mean, what I saw was Trump getting a lot of free media, the media focusing really hard on Hillary's emails and, and a lot of other trivia about her Benghazi. Uh, what did you think of the coverage? I agree with you. I thought uh, Mr. Trump was uh, handled with, uh, you know, you, you know, I, I don't want to say kid gloves. I mean, he certainly got more criticism and more it was apt criticism. Uh, in other words, uh, looking at his record and looking at what he said and uh, when he started to be taken seriously, and that, I, that one I would say be, you know, starting about halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through the Republican primary uh, process. Um, you know, he had great good fortune by his opponents in the Republican primary process. It, it was his extraordinary ability as a television performer to command large audiences by being, you know, outrageous and xenophobic and racist. I can't believe he said that on TV. That was the reaction I thought to a lot of him. And just, uh, uh, you could see coming back from one of his rallies that they just broadcast live to the nation where, you know, anchors on the, 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 the cable news networks had to pick their jaws off their desks to start talking about it because it was so extraordinary. He is such a vivid character. I think that helped him quite a bit. Uh, but it did not help that, uh, you know, the media uh, helped themselves. I think the cable TV stations helped themselves by giving him such extraordinary access to the American public. Uh, analysis consisted of shaking their heads and saying, well, I can't believe he just said that. And that seemed to be about it. And then going on to, uh, you know, some pretty critical analysis of, of, of Secretary Clinton's problems, which were real. There's no question about that. Where were you election night? Uh, how did it all hit you? I was uh, I was at my house in in Hawaii where things happen quite a bit earlier than they do in the rest of the country. So uh, my sleepless night began a lot earlier than most. What do you have for upcoming episodes? Uh, upcoming episodes include uh, we are going to be doing, and this you know it might seem to some people we are late on this, and some other people that we're early on it, but we're going to be doing an impeachment edition that looks at uh, the processes that uh, might be in place now. Uh, there'll be a conversation with uh, Nina Totenberg, with whom I spent six months back in uh, 1994 uh, following the Clinton impeachment. And we'll be talking to Annette Gordon-Reed, the wonderful historian who wrote a book about the, uh, the biography of uh, President Andrew Johnson about his impeachment. Uh, those are two, of course, the only uh, two previous presidents who've, who've ever been impeached. So to talk about what lessons might be there. Uh, let's see, what else are we doing? Uh, this week we're doing a loyalty edition. So how do various kinds of government officials and politicians balance the questions of loyalty and competence. Uh, are you loyal to, uh, if you're a, a constitutional officer, you swear an oath not to, obviously, the president, but to the Constitution. So how do you balance your loyalty to the person who appointed you, your loyalty to the party, your loyalty to the president, against your loyalty to your office and your oath to uh, work for the, the people of the United States? There's a different question for elected politicians about loyalty. Uh, we'll be talking about that as well. We're going to be doing a brinksmanship edition to look at uh, some of the uh, historical examples of brinksmanship as uh, the president uh, tries to apply the strategies and the tactics that worked for him as a business executive to diplomacy, 
And it remains to be seen whether success in the hotel business will translate to success in negotiations with North Korea or, or something like that. Uh, those are a, a couple of the issues we have. There's going to be, I think, a states' rights edition. Obviously, uh, there are some uh, governors uh, led by Jerry Brown, I think, of California, who have uh, staked out new turf in uh, separating California's policies from those of the federal government. States' rights, of course, historically was, uh, you know, dog whistle is too nice a word. It was just a code for racism. And uh, then talking about some of the other issues where states have had uh, different policies from the federal government and how that's worked out. For example, the current debate over, oh, things like marijuana and uh, assisted suicide and going back through some of the uh, questions about abortion and, and, uh, and gay marriage. Are there other folks in radio or other kind of communications who you've also seen start things as a result of 2016? Or who do you admire out there that's doing new work? Uh, I always admire Ira Glass. He's not, it's not a new program, but I think he does important work. And I think he, he's, uh, you know, as well as doing the programs about summer camp, he also does programs about uh, Russian propaganda. I'm a great admirer of his and, and his ability to frame issues in a new and interesting way. That's one show that I, I, I monitor pretty carefully. I, I have to say summer camp, I didn't listen to as carefully as I did to propaganda, but you know, that's just me. He's obviously got a bigger audience than just me. So uh, he, he's one of the people I continue to listen to carefully. Obviously, Terry Gross is one of the best interviewers in the business and continues to do outstanding work uh, as she continues to explore issues. And again, uh, she does a lot of programs on movies and TV and jazz, but uh, uh, she does a lot of important stuff on, on government and foreign policy as well. So, uh, And then there's the, the sort of continual amazement uh, of NPR, uh, which is obviously an institution I have a long history with, and it's reflected in the fact that uh, I yell at my radio an awful lot. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Oh, I talk back. How could you possibly? Go on. That's enough of that. You know, <laughs> uh, as, as somebody who used to be deeply involved in producing a, a morning edition or, or all things considered, I, I consider myself parentally qualified to bitch. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, after the uh, election and when Trump, when it became really clear that Trump was actually going to be our president, which was hard to, hard to wrap your mind around, I think. Yeah. I had a lot of people come to me and say, how much should we worry about this guy? I think that is still an open question, like in terms of how much of a threat is he to norms, to democracy, to go to war, to lead us down paths that are not just maybe Republican paths, but are really out of our normal ken. What's your evaluation of him at this point, uh, given that you've looked at a lot of these topics in some detail? I'm deeply worried about the prospect of conflict, uh, both with North Korea uh, and with Iran. It's by no means a certainty, but either case, can uh, miscalculations can easily lead to very serious conflicts uh, that could escalate quickly. And so I'm worried about both of those. I'm worried about particularly the situation in eastern Syria that we talked about uh, this past week in the program. So uh, there's obviously uh, the Persian Gulf where the U.S. Navy and the uh, Revolutionary Guard seem to have, you know, some sort of incident about every, you know, 10 days, every two weeks, something like that. One of those can easily uh, get get uh, out of control. And then you have U.S. forces and Iranian-backed forces in eastern Syria in very close proximity to each other. So that could blow up very quickly. Um, in terms of the questions of democracy, the campaign that Donald Trump ran was so extraordinary and so divisive 
but it exploited a level of division in our society that I think is very dangerous, and he continues to work on that division. He does not appeal across ideological or party lines, and those are not necessarily the same thing. Um, does not want to work with Democrats, apparently. Is appealing to his, uh, uh, maintaining uh, his appeal strictly to a very narrow base. Again, that was the base that got him elected. You know, this may be a, a, a process by which he can succeed. It is not a process, I think, by which he can govern effectively. And I deeply worry that uh, his example is going to be followed by others, uh, both the crassness and the, the lack of civility and the willingness to say, in the interest of being outrageous and newsworthy, the willingness to say things that are xenophobic and racist and, and misogynistic, I'll throw that one in there too. So um, plenty of that. And so, you know, yes, I, I do worry about how his example uh, is, is going to demean our politics. But, you know, again, our politics was pretty well demeaned already. Uh, it, it turns out uh, you could always go lower. Well, early in the campaign, I had a lot of friends who would compare, say, Cruz and Trump, and they would say, I would rather have Trump because Cruz is a hard right and he has some sense of ideology that he, and, and we know he's going to be bad. Whereas Trump, you know, he used to be a Democrat. He has a mix of positions on different issues. Maybe something less terrible will come out of a Trump administration if we were to get one. Do you think there's any chance that we haven't seen the real Trump yet and that he could turn in a different direction? No, I think we've seen the real Trump. I think he's a 70-year-old man who's not likely to change uh, significantly while in office. Clearly, uh, the presidency in Washington, D.C. have done very little to change him. I don't think they're going to at all. And in terms of uh, preferring Trump over Cruz, be careful what you wish for. You've probably interviewed many thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people, what questions should I have asked you or what question would you like to be asked at this point? Uh, probably, you know, who will win the American League East this year? Do the Yankees really have a legitimate shot? Uh, and, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm still thinking second wild card. But anyway. Are you you're more of an American League fan? Because I'm more of a National League fan. Uh, much more of an American League fan. The National League looks pretty well set. You know, last year it was the Cubs. This year it's the Dodgers running away with it. Um I think we live in extraordinary times. I think we live in times that uh, people will look back on and say, what did you do then? What did you do at that moment when uh, it became clear that so much was at stake? And uh, maybe doing a radio program is, is uh, uh, not much of an answer, but it's the only answer I've got. It's, it's, the, it's the best way I can think of to use my uh, my skills and and uh, my abilities and my experience. And so that's my answer to what I'm doing. And I'm trying to address serious issues. Uh, uh, this is our slogan, serious issues for serious times. It's too important a moment to uh, sit back and just uh, consider the, the, the grace and beauty of Aaron Judge. I, I think you're right. I think that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think it's why a lot of the people that I've been talking to are doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Is there is there anything that you'd like to say to a bunch of activists that are working, you know, 24-hour days to try to resist the current presidency? What would you like them to hear? Um, and maybe they're only 16-hour days. Let's hope so, because you'll run out of gas pretty soon. I think the the important word to think about is marathon. 
It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be easy. It is not something that's addressed simply by addressing Donald Trump. Uh, He represents something in our culture, something in our body politic. We need to rethink, you know, those things that we thought were verities uh, up until uh, uh, last November, uh, because experience in government seemed to be important uh, as you were looking to uh, nominate or elect somebody to be president of the United States, Uh, uh, someone who uh, uh, speaks thoughtfully and carefully uh, about the important issues of our day rather than uh, firing off insane tweets in the middle of the night. And also, how do we reach out to people? Uh, How do we reconsider what our ideas are and what worked and didn't work and, and reach out to people who disagree with us? And, you know, if that's what you're doing in a podcast, you're reaching out to people, to listeners. That's what we're trying to do in a radio program to say, here's, you know, how I'm, I'm thinking about this. I hope that helps you think about it, too. So that was Neil Conan of Truth, Politics and Power. Neil is at truthpoliticsandpower.org. I highly recommend you check out his show. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with The Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at resistancedashboard.com or by searching for The Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.